0: I'm Jim Martin, and this is Adventure Rider Radio. Last episode, we spoke with Graham Hoskins, a well-known TV and internet personality from the UK. He's well-known for his motorcycle travels, and Graham explained to us some of the ins and outs of filming your adventure for profit. Well, this week, we continue along that theme as we speak with Alex Chacon. Alex was training to become a doctor when he decided to go on vacation with his motorcycle and take his GoPro camera with him. He came back, made a video, and next thing you know, millions of people were viewing his videos. It may surprise you to find out Alex didn't go back to school. Now he now works full-time, making videos for profit. This is the story of Alex Chacon.
1: My name is Alex Tacon. I'm from the United States, I'm directly from El Paso, Texas. I was raised in the Mexican household. My whole family is from Mexico, and I was raised here in the States. I am a photographer, videographer, social media influencer, and YouTube talent. Currently, I'm in Austin, Texas, and this is my home base for now. Uh, my home base tends to shift around. I'd always been curious about the world since I was a little kid. i had always look at the globe in elementary school, and I would always wonder, what does Lake Titicaca look like? So, you know, Titi obviously has a contact and then caca in Spanish as a context. The most hilarious thing to me in the world uh, to just, you know, repeat that word over and over again. Titi caca, titi caca. So one day I promised myself I would actually go and see if it was full of what it truly meant. This is Dave Barr, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. When I was 15, I managed to get a, uh, my first goal sport bike, uh, a KLR. 650. And I started driving around the States and uh, I did some crazy trips. I had a girlfriend at the time and um, she left me and I was very distraught. So I said, let's see, I'm going to go get my closure. So I went from Texas to California and I got my closure. And then I was like, well, I'm already up here. Might as well keep going. So then I went up to Canada and I ended up going across the country to New York and down to Florida, up to Maine, Nova Scotia, Toronto. And I did all of that in 30 days. And I said, well, that was, that was quite a challenge. Let's see if I can you know, continue that. So, over the years, my photography grew, my videography grew. Uh, then I entered college, and that kind of stopped for a bit. I was kind of stuck in the laboratory for a long time, kind of dissecting the uh, causes of cancer. I was trying to be a doctor and then go into research. And um, it was a tough life. And uh, I felt the urge to adventure and really uh, have an expedition uh, that's really out of the ordinary. So, uh, after graduating college, I was going to go to head medical school. And there's a little piece of me that wasn't quite satisfied with my life yet. And, um, I chose to satisfy it. So I sold everything I had, including my car, my TV, my clothes. Um, and I just took off. I, I sold everything. I, I left, I left with basically everything that I owned on the motorcycle and the KLR and I just took off from Texas. And I really thought I was only going to leave for about three months. I thought I had fun for three months or four months and, uh, I would just take off and I was just a free spirit going to just test the waters and see the world. And, Help contribute to a worthy clause at the same time, and that trip ended up taking me, um, you know, 500 days from Alaska to Argentina, and then around the world uh, through India and then uh, the Middle East, and then finally, uh, and finally Europe. And um, it was a uh, quite a life-changing experience. And uh, now I get to do all of that in a different context, um, almost as a, as a full-time job at this point.
0: Alex, on that first trip, you took the video cameras with you, you filmed it, and ultimately you made the the video that really put you in the limelight. What made you decide to take a video camera with you? Why not just take an SLR or something else? What was the decision that brought you to video?
1: I thought it's great to write stuff, but without pictures, it it doesn't quite hit the same way. It doesn't hit home. It doesn't doesn't hit the, the feel, the heart. It doesn't quite bring you into the story, like visual... Uh, visual clues can. So I really thought, so how do you up from the typical pictures? And I said, well, video. And I said, all right, so how do we do this video thing to make it really work and enticing and exciting and something that really hasn't been done before? And, um, you know, the video had been done before, but this is when uh, YouTube really started kicking up and kicking off. And the lucky thing for me is that I was quite quite lucky to be at the right place at the right time almost and that's why all this is basically you know popped up in some so much success is because of the uh the digital media world that is what it is today as you can see it's becoming a giant and it's going to become our future at some
0: point but you could have easily posted a video like many other people do. Like you said, there's lots of people shooting videos out there, and they're great to watch, and they're informative, you know, and they show you the scenery. You've got a knack for some angles that you've developed and a way of filming, and then even editing afterwards to make it really hip, really interesting, and, and that are attracting a lot of people to it. Was that part of your plan before you left on the trip?
1: Absolutely not. My plan on my trip was I, was, I was a little selfish and I said, I'm going to make this trip for me. And then during the trip, I realized how many lives I was actually touching. People online were saying, hey, make sure you post every day. I want to see what you're doing every day. I want to follow your footsteps because I can not do the trip. And then kids would see me and they would just say, where are you from? You look like an astronaut just driving around in this big bike and this crazy helmet. And what are you doing? And it was just, it was so amazing to do that. that I really wanted to captivate it in a unique way. And to tell you, my my secret Jim is that, you know, anybody can post a video, anybody can post a picture. The thing that really set me apart from anybody is that, uh, you know, I'm a Virgo, so we're very detail oriented people, apparently, um, and being a medical practitioner, we're very, you know, we have these, we love these specifics, and we, we're perfectionists, and we do things. So the only thing that sets me apart from everybody else, I would like to think, is that the amount of effort I put into editing my videos and my pictures every night uh, on this trip was, was what did it for me. And to give you an example, um, every day I would take pictures and video and I would upload them to the computer, organize them, and then I would edit them and I would write a blog post. I would literally wake up at 7 in the morning, I would drive, do my adventure, I would probably finish around 7 or 8 p.m., uh, I would get to whatever place I'm going to sleep at, a hostel or a camping, and I would spend about an hour unloading and everything because I had no idea what I was doing with my gear and everything was set up the wrong way. And it just took me two hours to finally uh, relax and find a home. The thing what set me apart is that from about 10 p.m. up until 2 a.m., every night I would sit up and I would organize, I would upload, I would write, I would edit. I would see what angles were working on my filming. I would see what pictures were working, what wasn't working, I never hardly ever interact with any of the other travelers in the places I was staying at because I, I chose to sacrifice my, my a piece of my trip um, for being able to share it with the world. And what a lot of people do, is I, what I really wish would have had happened but didn't quite happen, was having a very genuine and authentic adventure without having to do that. I think there's something very special and unique about it, but there was something that I knew was very special about what I was doing because I did enjoy it. And it was bringing so much uh, change and inspiration to others that I chose to keep sacrificing the time and effort to help bring the world to those who couldn't go see it.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because we've talked about this before on Adventure Rider Radio about the effect of videotaping your trip or, or documenting it in any fashion whatsoever. And I think it was Graham Field that uh, had said a, a couple episodes ago he had mentioned about meeting some people on a trip, and while he was off enjoying the nightlife, they were sponsored and they were stuck to dealing with keeping up with their sponsorship commitments, and that has to affect your trip. It affects the way you're experiencing things, like you're saying. You're diligent. You're doing it every night, so you almost if you think about it if you really you know you really want that success you're going to have to go your route or do you think that maybe it's just worthwhile just saying forget it and enjoying the trip and not bothering
1: yeah i definitely think there's there's a few types of travelers out there and there's the ones who want the the trip for themselves and the one who just will not take a single picture but they'll enjoy the adventure and you know i think that's perfectly fine within you know your own context and it's your trip do whatever you want but i think there's those of us who say look at what I'm looking at. I want to be able to share not only what I'm looking at, but the experience of what I'm feeling, what this means to me, and how this can inspire and just make people happy uh, back home. You know, you realize, why doesn't everybody do this? And you want to be able to share that with them. And there's different methods of doing it. So, And you're right about the sponsorship. It's crazy. I mean, I see some people who are fully sponsored, but again, you have to it's a job while you're traveling. You have to, you know, send the pictures. you got to write the things. You, If you're trying to work on the road at the same time, it's, you know, it's a sacrifice about what you're willing to do for your trip.
0: Can you talk about the transition from just taking the trip for your own uh, sake when you said you were being very selfish and it was all about you, which there's nothing wrong with that, to the point where you decided, whoa, there's something else going on here. Can you tell us more about that?
1: Um, the selfishness lasted about a week. Uh, and then I started seeing that people were just so inspired about What I was doing, uh, they said, I cannot believe you sold everything you had, and you you don't know when you're coming back, and you just took off. You know, everybody was, I wish I could do that. And I said, there's something, there's something unique in that. So, um, I think my first point was when I was in Mexico, I was in Copper Canyon, and um, I was within a week, and it was my birthday uh, a week after I left, and uh, my whole family said, don't leave, it's going to be your birthday soon. At least stay for your birthday. And uh, the big hardest part of these trips, as you know, as many people know, is is just leaving. So. Um, I gave up, I sacrificed my birthday and everything, and on my birthday, I was in Copper Canyon, and um, there were these little kids that were just walking around asking for money. And I said, this is kind of odd. They go just asking money to people who travel by, and I said, how are these people living? What are they doing? How are they surviving? What's their daily life like? And I said, people don't know what's really going on here and being able to speak Spanish, I was able to talk to family. I was able to talk to the kids and I was really able to decipher what put them in this position. You know, what is the Mexican government not helping them with what, what are their struggles? How can you help? How can they help themselves? And I said, this is great information and this is a great experience to share with everybody. And that's when I started posting uh, stuff about about the world, about others, about, you know, what it means to you, what you can do if you want to make a difference. And, what you probably shouldn't do. And the thing I figured out from that is that you probably shouldn't give money to children uh, who are asking for money because then they just, you know, go around the corner and they have their parents waiting for them and the parents are off. I mean, the kids are asked for money while they're doing something else. And I just don't think that's a proper way to, uh, I guess, utilize your children. Um, So I was like, it'd be great for people to know what really happens when you give kids money, what do they do with it? And um, it was about educating everybody. So that was my first point where I said, These are the small knacks and tricks that I never knew before until I really got into it, and it'd be great to share it with the world.
0: After a while, though, the blog started obviously picking up a lot of hits. You had a lot of followers. You were getting lots of email. So at what point do you realize that something big is happening?
1: I think the moment, nothing really big happened until I got back and I started making viral videos that just went into the millions on YouTube. But the point where it really started making a difference was when people started emailing me and they said, you know what, Alex, your journey inspired me. And they said, listen, I have a friend here in whatever country you're in and uh, he would love to host you and meet you. And I started meeting these people. And, um, uh, and then they would say, you know what, you really inspired me. I would like to go do something. How do I contribute to this cause? How do I, how do I help uh, contribute to this or that? And they, and there was just, it was so amazing to, you know, have one person come to me and tell tell me they got inspired. They have changed lives or that. I'm doing, I'm achieving the dream they wish they could, you know, they spent 50 years trying to travel the world and never did. And um, it's really great to, to touch people's lives in that way. So um, it just started snowballing after that. Then I got 10 emails and I got 30 emails and then I got five comments on my pictures and I got a hundred comments on my pictures. And now we're up to millions of people to, you know, international TV interviews on major TV networks and, uh, just just crazy stuff now. So it really starts snowballing um, when it really started touching people emotionally and also uh, entertaining people in, in a way. So you kind of you give them something they feel they're missing in their life and then you, you tend to bring something good into it to make them feel better about things or that things they've always wanted to do they've never been able to do due to, due to uh, lack of information or motivation. So it's really great to be able to to hit the human condition in a very overall way to really enact a change in, in people.
0: When you sold everything, um, did you buy a bike at that point to go or did you already have a motorcycle and and what did you do for gear?
1: Um, yeah, I already had the KLR and uh, I sold everything that I could have the funds just to basically buy gas and parts on the way. Um, my gear was very simple. It was just basically very cheap Pelican cases that I used U-bolts on the frame and attached to them, which is a horrible way of mounting your panniers, because if you ever want to take them off, it literally takes half an hour to unscrew everything, take everything out of the box, and I didn't know what I was really doing. All I knew is I, I just had a jimmy rig something to just take off, and I wasn't spending an exorbitant amount of money on, on gear. I literally, got, I literally went to goodwill, and I get people say, wow, those are really awesome tank bags. Where'd you get those tank bags? And I said, you know what? I want the Goodwill, and they had all these $2 bags, and they're actually diaper bags from the hospital that they donated, and it's meant for diapers and baby products. I strapped them to the very front of the tank, and they were great. They lasted the entire trip. Um, so the gear was just anything I could get my hands on, and uh, I was just saving my money for fuel and for uh, for food.
0: Innovation through desperation. I I like that. And, you know, and and that's sort of a a thing that we like to to showcase on this show because it shows people that you don't need to have the latest, greatest gear. I mean, people who see you now may see you in a lot better gear, but that initial trip, that one that got you out there that really broke the ice for you as far as, you know, being a a world traveler, was something that you did just on a shoestring budget.
1: Yeah. And I think it's really great to keep to yourself. And I think that's the hardest part through people's transition of whether it be getting famous or getting more sponsorships is to give you an example is um, just last week, I was uh, I was invited by Kawasaki to go uh, go to Italy to test drive their brand new stuff and, um, you know, talk about it on social, um, do the whole visual media content creation that I do now. And, um, you know, I was there with a lot of other motorcycle magazines, the press people from around the world, and, you know, they had great gear, brand new stuff. They can just call up anybody and get brand new gear. And uh, I showed up, and uh, I literally had these old boots that I – carried around the world and took those and I took some pants and, and I took a, I took an okay jacket. I didn't take an exactly a motorcycle jacket, but then uh, people were kind of looking at me like, you know, who who are you? And I said, well, I'm the first guy that Kawasaki decided to bring on to create digital content for social. And they said, oh, we haven't heard of that before. And uh, so I, I kind of kept it myself because they kind of said, well, you're not really into our group. And uh, the thing I, I was doing is I was really keeping true to myself, saying, well, I could take this nice gear and these nice boots and, you know, look really professional and have all this great stuff, but it's not what I really use, um, on a daily basis. It's, <laughs> I going to jump on the biking shorts and a t-shirt and a helmet, um, uh, here in Texas, cause it gets so hot. Uh, if I'm just going down the street for the mail or something. So it's, um, it's really great to keep true to yourself because when all this stuff starts happening, you start really blending into the rest of the people and you no longer stand out, which is, um which is those, I don't I want to say for people who buy the most expensive stuff, because that's, that's fine, too. But um, I think the reason there's I'm, I'm different is because I've really kept to, to my base and to my, to my fundamental framework of how my first trip was.
0: Your first trip, when you left on your KLR and you're headed off, do you have a destination in mind, or are you sort of just going and seeing how far your money's going to take you?
1: I think each trip is different. Each trip I've ever had has had a different a different goal in mind. So I think some trips I definitely budgeted. I said I got this much per day, whatever it is. There's some trips where I say, well, I'm just going to see how far I can make it in this much time. And there's other trips where I just go like, you know what? I have what I need to have, and I'll just take off and see see where I make it to, and I'll just turn back when I get bored. But when I, when I do trips, I, I definitely go for the video and the photo ops. Um, the best thing about driving a bike, as you know, is being able to go places that you typically can't really get to on the on the typical tour or on a typical car. So I always like to highlight the most amazing things in every country. Research those and how you get there to me is the best adventure is getting lost, is going in circles, is meeting the locals, having, you know, having a uh, having a dream with the locals, having and having staying with somebody who sees you on the road in the middle of the night who says, What are you doing here? And if they say, come on to my house, well We'll take care of you. Um, and I think that's the adventure. I think that the, I think you should definitely have in mind things that you want to see because uh, you may never go back to the same place, but you also got to be uh, smart about that. But at the same time, I think there should be a sense of the unknown of uh, how am I going to get there.
0: And the first trip, I think, was 500 days. Where did it take you?
1: Yeah, the, um, that trip was literally from uh, Texas to the tip of South America back up to Alaska and back down. That made my first viral video, which is called The Modern Motorcycle Diaries, and that was my first viral hit. I think now it has around two and a half, almost three million views, but it was just basically, it was was just a a head cam shot, and it was a bike shot the entire way, but what really sold that video was the scenery. So on my first trip, I got a lot of that scenery. I got the most of that scenery, but... um, Later on I started doing small trips to Mexico and then small trips to South America after that and that's where I got a lot of the footage. So it was literally a compilation of 500 days plus uh, a few other trips here and there.
0: There's one scene in the video where you're riding along a very narrow elevated pathway that looks like it's made of stone that's all concrete together. It's an incredible shot because you're looking at the POV shot, the point of view shot of the rider, you, on your bike. And you can see that on either side of this thing, certainly at some points on both sides and other points just on one side, if you were to, to veer off or have any sort of problem, you're going to fall completely down yeah. on this.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, I think that was the scariest little path you've ever driven on because it was literally about two feet wide, I want to say. It was about, about a foot and a half wide, two feet wide. And it, basically, there's a, there was a 15-foot, 20-foot drop to the very bottom to a river. And um, I like to call that my secret place because everybody mentioned about it. I, said, I cannot believe you drove that. Where is that? But uh, I'll tell you that it's uh, somewhere hidden in Guatemala. Putting that scene at the very beginning of the video is what sold the video. I mean, that was, that was the scene where people said, okay, this just went from an okay guy who just made a video to oh my gosh what is he doing and now it's like okay this is this is epic this is nobody's really done this this is something i've never seen before and that what's captured people in in the first minute and that's why they stuck around to watch that nine minute video and if you know anything about youtube videos is that any video that is longer than two minutes on YouTube, uh, and you have over a million views on it is a miracle or it's a really awesome video because, uh, people's attention span on the internet, uh, is between two and three minutes on YouTube. So it, it was really amazing how much and how amazing that, that scene was to capture people for nine minutes.
0: I'm sure that everyone has this question, especially anyone who's done much riding with motorcycles and adventure riding in particular. How are you handling the filming? You've got batteries to worry about. You've got uh, memory cards to worry about. And the GoPro, let's face it, is not the, you know, the easiest thing to turn on and off, uh, regardless of the model you have. It does take a bit and sometimes can uh, some messing around. Doesn't that take you a long time?
1: I will tell you that my first video, that the one I was just talking about, I literally filmed on one GoPro camera, and I filmed it for two years. So the hardest part is the effort you put into it. And uh, was it hard charging things? I would even have an extra battery, but I would be so diligent on, okay, I know I need to have a quality video. I'm going to film this part for 30 seconds, and that's it. Turn it off and pick off the battery, make sure it doesn't drain so I can have it for uh, for the rest of the day and uh, charge it at night. It was part of my due diligence every night from 10 p.m. all the way to 2 or 3 a.m. to drop everything, clear the card, charge the battery I had, the one battery I had, and basically say, all right, we're ready to go for tomorrow.
0: You were going to school for medical training, certainly not filmmaking. How do you come up with all your angles and ideas for making these incredible films?
1: I think the most important thing you can do is realize what works, first of all. What kind of videos are working and what is the normal flow of videos? For example, we have a bunch of people that just pop a GoPro on their helmet and they leave it on for three hours and they post that video on YouTube. Obviously, it gets very boring and very mundane. So the first thing I look at is what doesn't work? That, to me, does not work. Um, What does work? Changing angles, doing a side helmet, doing something on the bike, doing something... Uh, in person, having a more lifestyle approach to it rather than just a straight road, you want to capture people, you want to capture the animals um, so once you start having these different these different objects, you can start really playing okay, so it's like making it's like baking a cake. you have your foundation, you got the cake now you do the frosting, now you do the toppings now you may add a flavor, you may want some syrup, and it's just about kind of negotiating. What have I seen done before that really moved me? And what did I see that I didn't like? And then you just start copying and recreating things. And then if you want to take it one step further, um, if you start doing and filming things that have never been done before. And I think the first time I experienced that was three years ago. Um, So I know we talked about the epic selfie video. Three years ago, I literally, there was no selfie pole itself. Uh, It was back when the GoPro HD2 was uh, was just coming out, so there was no pole, there was no monopod attachment at that point. So before I left on my trip, I engine, I literally went to the dumpsters and I engineered a a big pole that could retract. It was part of a tripod. I, I-, I duct taped it, I zip tied it, I did all- everything I needed to. It was a huge, really heavy steel pole thing. It was insane, and that was the very first selfie pole. Uh, It was just a pole, but you know, later on became a selfie pole. That's the very first thing I used uh, in my in my filming, and I said, you know what, nobody's ever really done a self-travel documented motorcycle trip with the pole behind me the entire way. So during the trip, I would use this pole in very different ways, and I said, okay, this works, this doesn't work, I like this, I don't like this, and um, I would use this pole. And, uh, and eventually, uh, three years later, someone called it a selfie pole, and I said, oh, okay, I guess it is a selfie pole now. Uh, but I never had the intention of the calling a selfie pole. And I would just try so many different things that didn't work. And then there was that one thing that did work, which is what I did in every uh, amazing place that I did. And then I made a video out of it. And then it went viral and has over like 12 million views now. Uh, and it was all because I spent six months learning how to use that pole, six months um, shooting, shooting the same scene over and over again in different ways that I, I've never seen filmed before. And until, you know, 50 of those different techniques, one of them stuck. And again, the only thing that really sets me apart from everybody else is my my persistence and my diligence and my just complete recklessness of just spending so much time on editing, watching the videos, and just the time spent on on uh, on these things was just enormous. So I think that the effort is what really put me forward, uh, gave me the heads up on things.
0: What about editing? You come back with all this footage. I mean, that's one thing. It's another thing to actually sit down and edit the video. How did you figure out how to do that?
1: Yeah, so obviously coming from a medical background, I had no idea how to edit. So what I started doing was obviously the very cheap, free programs that come on your your Windows operating system. Um, I don't want to say the name of it because it's quite awful. (laughs) But (laughs) You start off with just dragging and dropping, and you realize, oh, this sucks, and you realize that the quality is not great, and anyway, so then you say, I really, it's just about how much effort you want to put into it. If you're really motivated about it, you will go now to YouTube, and you can do anything you want in the world. I tell people there's no excuse for anybody not to travel anymore, because you have a literal translator on your phone anywhere you go. You can download Google Translate and anything you want to say, you can just type it, and even without Internet access, it'll translate the word in whatever language. You can download Language Packs for free. So when people say, oh, I can't travel because I don't speak the language, I said, that is bogus. Just download the app and you can go anywhere you want. Um, same thing with video editing. Uh, they say it's so complicated. I'm like, you know what, go to YouTube and say how to start a video, how to edit on this program, how to edit on this program. And that's what I did is I would just mess around with it. I would I would see what works, what didn't work. I had so many disasters. Um, I literally made 100 videos on YouTube before uh, my editing skills really took off because I said, these 100 videos are absolute garbage. I, I really want people to enjoy and watch them. And when I spent the time uh, Googling how to do certain things, it, it took a long time. I wish I would have taken a class, but it, it was just my way of saying, all right, now I have to spend the time, I don't want to, it's very stressful for me to, you know, go through 500 gigabytes of footage to edit something. But I said, but who else is going to do it? And I said, all right, I'm going to have to do it. So uh, it's just one of those things you've got to push through and you got to say, well, if you want it done, you've got to do it yourself.
0: Yeah, but to be fair, I mean, you even said that you spent, uh, you know, two years filming the one video. It's not even just looking it up; it's actually putting the time in, isn't it? Because anyone can look it up and sort of, you know, mess with it a little bit. But to really get something good, you've you've got to devote the time. You have to put in the due diligence.
1: Absolutely, and I think the epic selfie video. In total, I must have spent over six and or seven months editing that video. Uh, after I got back. It literally took almost a whole year to edit that video because there was so much great footage. Um, but the great thing about it is now I have extra footage. So now, uh, thanks to the success of that when I have uh, around, the, the, around the world in 360 degrees, what it was originally called. Uh, now it's called the three-year epic selfie. Um, now I have the second version coming out from all the extra footage that I had and all the new trips that I did. So the good thing about having so much footage is that you can always kind of reuse it.
0: You did a trip to India and filmed that. Tell us about that adventure.
1: Here's the amazing power of uh, digital content creation in today's uh, heavy technological age, Jim, is uh, GoPro found my first video that got 2 million, 3 million views, and they said, that was such an amazing video. We want to kind of recreate that for our brand new uh, Hero 3 Plus Black Edition uh, product launch. And I said, perfect these are my ideas. What do you guys got? And they said, well, we're kind of looking for you for ideas. And I said, all right, well, this is what I got. This is what every motorcycle guy wants to do. This is the best road. This is what I would consider. I just did an amazing journey. Uh, I would love to do that again for you. guys, but can we go somewhere else, please? Um, so we really came up with an idea and, um, yeah, working with GoPro was great. We decided to go to the highest road in the world, uh, on Royal Enfield. And, um, that was part of the, uh, the uh, Hero 3 Plus product lunch and it was uh, a part of of its own episode on the Adventure Series as well and I got a star in it and um, I got a chance to really meet the GoPro people and really get involved with them and uh, really see what the GoPro people are all about and that was very eye-opening because I know when I first started the trip, I said, oh, I got to go to GoPro and I got to see, listen, I'm doing this great trip. Give me some cameras, do this. And it didn't, it didn't work. They just shoved me off. But it wasn't until I created something that was so viral that they said, okay, we see that you can do something. Now let's work together. So it's everybody's dream to just say, well, GoPro, I'm doing this amazing thing. Just give me a camera. I'll give you all the footage. And, um, you know, it was really interesting to finally get in with them after trying for so many months and so many years. Uh, so it was a very, very awesome experience.
0: And you went ahead without getting any sponsors. You went and did this on your own for yourself.
1: That was the most disappointing part of starting my trip. I said, you know, I had this great idea. I have these great things I'm going to do, and I'm going to share it with people. And nobody wants to help me. This is very sad. I felt very hopeless for a while. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna do this trip for myself, and we'll see what comes of it. And it became doing a trip for uh, it became doing a trip for all my followers and everybody else. And I said, you know, forget the brands, screw them, I don't need them, and I didn't. And um, it's just kind of cool what came out of it, but. Uh, I, my entire trip and my entire travel career was all about. It was all about not using brands, not needing to do it. It was more about the adventure, the the authentic uh, trips, the authentic feelings, the authentic picture. It just everything was very genuine about it.
0: So you did not come back from your trip and go into the medical profession. You've decided to stay doing what you're doing, and you're working with uh, digital content and social media. Tell us more about that, and for those who don't even understand what you're talking about.
1: Um, I was actually to come back for medical school at some point, but I literally, literally had a hundred dollars back in my bank when I arrived. I had no motorcycle. I sold a bike. It was just, it was chaos. I, I, but the amazing thing is that I was so incredibly happy. I had never been as happy as I had ever been in my life until I got back home with $100 in my bank account. Um, So then I I figured out that I had touched so many people's lives in this thing, and I said, wow, this is amazing. And then once the videos came out, I I said, I've touched millions of lives when being a medical practitioner, I may have touched maybe a 1,000 to 10s of thousands. And when you can reach a worldwide audience with a great message that enacts change, discipline, motivation, inspiration, I thought that – that is power, that is life-changing, that is the global influence that that every person wishes they had and I said I think there's something in this and I think I can make a big difference in the world uh, doing this. Um, so now that in today's age that's through the digital media space and what the digital media space basically is is you have your social, you got your Twitter, you got your Facebook, you got your Instagram, you got your Pinterest, you got all these nice little uh, cute little terms that uh, didn't exist uh, five years ago. Um, So what that entails now is the creation of authentic and genuine content to be distributed throughout social platforms. And that's me posting uh, pictures on my Facebook, uh, tweeting about stuff. By the way, I'm not a big fan of Twitter, but um, it's amazing how many people you can reach on that thing. Um, So just posting great videos, content, having people subscribe to you, waiting for the next video to come out. Um, And it's basically the progression of – of, you know, how many fans and followers you have. And that kind of gives you power and prestige and the uh, the social community, and it allows you to do uh, very big things um, in the world. So, you know, the idea is to have as many followers as you can, you know, provide great content that people have never seen before, motivate people, change people. Um, and I think that's the power behind everything is being able to captivate and engage the, those millions uh, of, of online people uh, in a way that you want to. Um, whether that be uh, to enact change, to motivate, or whatever you want to do.
0: Corporate-wise, now you're, you're helping companies work with their social media. What are you doing for them?
1: So each project is different with um, whoever wants to work with me whoever I decide to work with. Um, unfortunately, the money is in places that you don't want to work with, such as um, alcohol companies, cigarette companies. They, they will pay you an exorbitant amount of money to do stuff if, you are, uh, if you're a social influencer. Um, so, nowadays, it's, it's more about people recognizing that you have an audience, so when they're releasing a brand new motorcycle, uh, people say, all right, who do we know in the motorcycle community? How can we get this out to the the target audience, which is in today's world is the millennial generation, which is those 18 to 35 who are now entering the workforce, who now have disposable income, and um, you know we millennials, and I'm a millennial as well, I'm 27 years old now, is, um, you know, In the past, our parents really wanted to just work, have a family, get a job, be self-sustainable, create a career, and live well. Uh, In today's world, the millennial generation, the people who are on social media, the people who view these things, were more about wanting to make a difference, to make a change, to not only satisfy our needs, but at the same time, how do we contribute and how do we really make a difference in the world? And this is what big brands now are, are noticing is, number one, that their target audience has shifted from the baby boomers uh, of self-sustainability to the millennial generations of wanting to make a difference. And uh, that's number one. Number two is that everybody now has a social presence. If you're a company that doesn't have a social presence, you are literally behind the times. So companies start freaking out and they say, well, we don't even have a YouTube channel. We don't even have that many followers. How do we get these numbers up? So you have different projects. You have projects to where Uh, a hotel chain is trying to get new followers to create a YouTube page. And this is a pretty um, well-known hotel chain, by the way. And they don't even have um, not even 1,000 followers on YouTube or uh, on Instagram. So there's the ones who are just starting out. Then you have ones who are really uh, well-allocated, the ones who have millions of followers on Facebook. And they say, all right, we've done the typical pictures and everything. How do we do something different to really captivate a more engaging audience? And that's where people like me come in, uh, Jim, is we have – I'm very fortunate to have very loyal followers because they saw that I was just a normal guy, that I'm still doing hopefully very authentic and genuine things, that I'm just really enjoying what I'm doing, enacting change, doing things that I want to do things. And people really relate to that in my uh, my generation and in the age group that these big companies are trying to get to. Um, So they say, all right, so how do we work with this guy who has this big following, his audience audience engagement is – is way above average. He has this many followers and this many people, and he's posting this incredible content we've never seen before. He's getting millions of hits on stuff. And how do we find a way to work with him to um, whether increase the exposure of a new product, of a, of, a, of a new thing, or how do we get his audience to engage with our audience, and how do we bring him into our family, and how do we make it seem like uh, we're helping contribute to uh, his causes and his adventures? So every project's different, um, but I can tell you that there's an incredible amount of, uh, opportunity right now in the digital media spectrum that will blow your mind. It's like the, um, it's like the industrial revolution. It's just, it's starting, it's building up and we all know where it's going. I think a lot of us are no longer watching television and I believe we're all going to be watching our entertainment through uh, the internet at some point in the next few years. And you got YouTube stars making millions of dollars. You have people going to Hollywood from YouTube. So there's these great, incredible transitions to where Now we, the creators, have the power to decide, oh, I want to work with you, or I don't want to work with you, when before it was like, go to BMW or go to KTM or go to Yamaha and say, listen, I really want to work with you. Now we have the power as um, content creators.
0: Alex, what other videos or projects do you have that the listener should see?
1: Absolutely. So obviously, if you search YouTube, if you search my name, Alex Chacom, you'll see my entire inventory of my web episodes from every country I've been to, uh, to my epic selfie video, um, I have some really awesome projects coming up. Um, I actually flew a drone around Mexico with the Mexican uh, government, and we're going to release that film to help promote tourism in Mexico, um, which has suffered because of the uh, the drug war, unfortunately. I know there's a lot of bikers who uh, who are very scared of driving through Mexico. They don't know what to expect, and they think it's dangerous. So this is a great way to help promote people to travel through Mexico and to Mexico. And uh, it involves flying drones uh, through historical landmarks that have never been filmed before in that way. We had to get special permission from the government and everything. So check out that video. That should be out later on this month. But feel free to subscribe to my channel and my social handles, and just search my name Alex Tricone, uh or The Modern Motorcycle Diaries uh, anywhere on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
0: Alex, thanks very much for sharing your story with us. Great, it was my pleasure. I've been speaking with Alex Chacon, and you can see Alex's videos on his website at ModernMotoDiaries.com, or, or you can look them up on YouTube as well. While that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, I'm Jim Martin. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. Adventure Rider Radio is brought to you by Canoe West Media. Special thanks to co-producer Elizabeth Martin. Hi, this is Grant Johnson from HorizonsUnlimited.com, and you're on Adventure Rider Radio.